0: Hello and welcome to the Blockade Burner Podcast number 165. My name is John. Joining me this morning with a new microphone to boot is Ryan. Good morning, Ryan.
1: Hopefully, uh, this sounds a little better. We will find out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it sounds good. I think it sounds good. So, uh, yeah, Ryan, we're just a couple days after, after Christmas. How was your holiday? Did you have a nice, uh, did you, or did you have like a, a Star Wars, uh, heavy holiday or, or how did that look for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think most, uh, most holidays are Star Wars heavy, um, for, for me traditionally. Um. Yeah, like we—I mean, we—we we celebrate Christmas, um, but uh, not in like a very hardcore way. <laughs> um, but yeah, ended up uh, m- many of my presents across the board were uh, were Star Wars themed uh, as they tend to be because uh i think you know being a star wars fan makes you immediately one of the easiest people to shop for um because <laughs> star wars stuff is so available it comes in a variety of price ranges and there's just so much of it
2: out yeah. there
0: so yeah 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 absolutely um yeah I think by any normal person's standards my uh Christmas was very star wars heavy uh for me it was um not not as heavy as uh, as many star wars Christmases of past uh or previous years i guess um but uh you know a few few little things but like if you look at my house like all four of our stockings are uh on the fireplace are star wars themed the tree has more star wars ornaments than anything else to the point where um, my little brother got me a, uh, a tie fighter, a new tie fighter, uh, Christmas ornament, um, which mm. is awesome. Um, and, uh, I have like, yeah, lots of other star Wars Christmas ornaments. And, um, I think we haven't had the talk, but I think there's, there's been reference to a talk, um, happening at some point soon about the number of star Wars Christmas ornaments on the tree and, uh, whether or not that's sustainable. So, um, <laughs> I might, I might have to do a, uh. A separate tree for some of my star Wars ornaments. Um, just cause like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot at this point. So, um, which is how I like it. You know, I like, um, we've talked about it before, Ryan, you're not a huge Christmas guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of am. I, 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 mean, not huge, but I'm not McFoley, but I, I really like Christmas a lot. And, uh, so, but, but to me, it's like Star Wars and Christmas go hand in hand. So, um, just cause I, I have so many Star Wars decorations, Christmas decorations, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, things that I received as gifts and stuff this year, wasn't, uh, wasn't as heavy on Star Wars as usual. Um, but, uh, like I said, I got that ornament, which was really nice. Um, my, my Moth Gideon, uh, I had pre-ordered a Moth Gideon black series, uh, or not black series, but vintage collection figure, um. And I had no idea that that was going to ship. And then all of a sudden I just like looked on uh, on Christmas Eve and there was a, you know, I'm off getting it on my doorstep. So um, mm. that was, that was a nice surprise. Did you get that?
1: Uh, mine shipped yesterday.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. For, yeah. for some
1: reason that figure is shipping before all the other ones in the line that I think we both pre-ordered.
0: E- yeah. I pre-ordered a couple of them. Um, I, I don't think I could get to all of them. I didn't get a Mandalorian. Yeah. Mm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I think I have a, yeah, a couple more vintage collection, uh, one or two more pre-ordered. So that's cool. Um, and I'm trying to think, uh, I was kind of a naughty as well. And, uh, like for instance, uh, what would have been a great Star Wars gift is, uh, this Star Wars archives 40th anniversary edition, Mm -hmm. um, which I saw that you have finished reading. I have not finished. I'm, uh,
1: wrapped it up last night.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I know that uh, I could tell from your tweets that you uh, loved it as well.
1: Incredible. Yeah, just <laughs> the, the George insight. It's I mean, like, I love all the making of stuff. Like, I love, you know, hearing from ILM and how they, you know, invented the wheel um, and all that. But man, this the George interview that just is kind of threaded throughout with just so much of like his philosophy and like he's just so reflective like it's incredible
0: yeah i i i agree i think um you know like we have great making of books for uh star wars empire and jedi um Mm -hmm. and uh you know this is a nice companion to those um so many great behind the scenes photos you know and uh in promotional photos and you know stuff like that so i mean that's really cool um but like you said, this book is very, very George heavy, you know, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's obviously plenty of George, lots of George in the making of books from JW Rinsler as well. But, um, this is, I think, um, Paul Duncan interviewed George, um, specifically for this book, you know, later on down the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you get, you get kind of, um, some georgisms and some george you know thoughts and insights and stuff from a different time so that that part is great but uh yeah it's um i think what like 25 dollars 30 dollars or something yeah
1: 25
0: yeah and i remember when it was announced you and i talking about it and we were like well this can't be like what we think it is right because like how could it only be 25 dollars especially since the the actual book is you know about 200 um but no it is i mean i think there's maybe a little bit of content cut just to to um it's it's a smaller edition which i I guess we haven't actually mentioned but this 40th anniversary edition is uh it's a smaller size so the the original star wars archives is a massive like giant book Um, and this is this is much smaller standard kind of book size but i think uh, the majority of the content is is there and um yeah it's amazing
1: Yeah, I think like the the actual book is like a coffee table book in the sense that it's like literally the size of a coffee table, like when you open it up and (laughs) this one is like you can you can feel how it's condensed. Like there's, you know, the there's not as many, um, you know, you would think like I I, like reading it, I can kind of picture how text would be spread out more um and you know we'd have like bigger photos cuz there's also like a lot of um you know if if you've been if you've been in this game a while like you've seen a lot of these photos in here um from the Lucasfilm archives but there's also a lot of stuff that was new to me that I had never seen before um and some of like the you know, original like shooting scripts and um, like dailies and stuff like that, that's in there that I'd never seen. So um, yeah, there's, there's some new stuff, some familiar stuff. But um, I mean, I think, for me, I got the most out of the text, specifically the, um, you know, interview with George. Um, and there's a few other um, things like there's like, full text of like meetings um for uh for the different um different films and stuff which are interesting too but yeah and i think like that stuff seems to be mostly intact so if you're like kind of wondering like well because the original one's like out of print now so if you're like well should i you know spend 250 dollars on ebay for the original one or you know should i just grab this one like I think unless you're like an absolute completionist, purist, um, this, uh, $25 edition is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, it, it, it it's really making me like <laughs> itching to, uh, to get the, the prequel one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, it's just like, it's so much money to spend in a book and, you know, I think it's worth it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And 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 the prequels, as far as like a a book like this, it's like, man, um, yeah, we don't have nearly as much of that kind of content about the prequels as we do, you know, about the original trilogy. So that's pretty enticing as well. Uh, Super enticing, in fact. But um, you know, I hope that they do uh, a smaller edition of of the prequel book as well. But um, you know what you're saying? Like reading this book, it, it makes me. Oh, man. It's like, it's a, like it, it, it is there. It's all there, but it's also like, it's so cool that it's like, oh, I want the other one too, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the full yeah. size. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't anticipate I'll be able to, to get, you know, the, the full size of either. But if I did, it would, you know, I'd go with the, uh, the prequel one first, of course, since I yeah. don't have that one. Um. But the other part of it is, of course, like, oh, man, I hope they do a sequel trilogy version of this. And I don't know if that would be permissible or uh you know if if they would open up the archives for this kind of thing um you know the freshly closed archives i guess since they just made the prequel or the sequel or yeah the sequels yeah Um, but it would be amazing
1: yeah especially
0: Uh, like what you said too about like things like you know transcriptions of meetings and stuff like that you know we get that kind of thing in the art of books uh a little bit but like it would be so cool to have some insight more insight into the process like that for the sequel trilogy
1: Yeah. And I think the um, like being the the kind of devil on your shoulder and also on my shoulder around the prequel book and like dropping that cash. I don't know if they're going to do a smaller version of that one, because this uh, this Star Wars Archives original trilogy book is part of um, an initiative by the publisher um, because it's celebrating their 40th anniversary. So they released like not just this book, but other books, um, in like out other out of print books in like a more affordable range yeah. for their fortieth anniversary. Mm. So, I you know I don't know if in two years if they'll be like it's our forty second anniversary. Here's a twenty five dollar version of the prequel book. Um, okay, yeah, I don't know. So.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind. Um, I will have to keep that in mind. That being said, you know, if this one sells really well, uh, one would think they might, uh, you know, choose to pursue it, but uh, I'm sure they want to sell the the full-size version for a year or two at a, at a minimum years, yeah. before, yeah, before they would ever, you know, kind of go this way. So we'll see. I, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um I love this publisher though. I was looking at their their site's Tashin books mm-hmm. and I was looking at their site and there's um a couple other books that I, I wanna um get from them about cinema and uh, stuff like that. And um yeah, Paul Duncan um he's done uh done some really cool books for them, some of which are out of print. But uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah, he did a James Bond book that I'm right. so curious to check out.
0: Yeah, I think that one, one is out of print, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, cool. Okay. Well, um, uh, oh, speaking of Star Wars authors, uh, I did get, um, I had put it on my list, been meaning to get it for a long time and hadn't gotten it yet. The, uh, the making of alien by, uh, JW Rinsler. Ooh. Um, yeah. So, um, excited to dig into that once I get through, um, the Star Wars archives here. And, uh, of course, um, best wishes to, to JW Rinsler, who, uh, is, uh, battling cancer right now. Um, so, okay. Uh, well, Ryan, we, uh, we haven't even really talked about what this episode is going to be at this point. Um, but we're, uh, we're one week removed from the series finale, uh, season finale. Sorry. <laughs> I, I uh, scared some people last time when I was calling it the series finale, the, uh, the season finale of the Mandalorian. Um, so we're going to just kind of, uh, wrap up our, our thoughts for now on the season, um, and uh, talk about some of the news that has come out since then and uh, take a quick look at the, uh, the Art of book and um, talk Disney gallery, things like that. So, um, yeah, it's going to be Mando um, focused one more time for the time being because um, there's still quite a bit we wanted to cover. And uh, first thing is the um, announcement of the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I mean, you could say it was announced on the television show when they... Uh, put the little stinger in the uh, in the credit sequence um, for this for this show, but there was a, an official PR announcement on uh, Monday morning, uh, exactly as you predicted it would be. Right, in mm. fact. Um, on our on our last episode, you were like, "Well, I think we'll find out on Monday morning," and uh, we did. So uh, you you know your your Star Wars PR rhythms pretty well, it looks like.
1: <laughs> I'm really and, in tune to the corporate machinations of yes, Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think you know the big story to me is that because uh, obviously we knew the show was happening from watching the Mandalorian, but the big story is that it is not, in fact, replacing or even. I don't think seriously postponing, significantly postponing, uh, *Mandalorian* season three. So, it is a separate show, um, a limited series, and it will debut next December. Um, which, again, we we knew that from uh, from watching *The Mandalorian* too. So, I think the big thing is uh, with this is that it's it's clearing up any confusion there might have been about, like, you know, the question I brought up, which is whether or not this replaces um, *The Mandalorian*, and it doesn't. Um, and also I think the other thing we learned from this press release is that Robert Rodriguez is going to be joining Dave Filoni and John Favreau as an executive producer. So, um, that is cool too. You know, he was the one who did the, uh, the big Boba Fett action episode, um, in season two and, uh, talked quite a bit on the, on the Mandalorian, uh, Disney gallery, the season two Disney Gallery episode about how into Boba Fett he is so it makes yeah. a lot of sense there too.
1: Yeah, super passionate about the character, and uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a it's an infectious passion. Um, I think when watching that uh, Disney Gallery for sure, um, you know I think again like um, just you know not not being someone who really didn't love the idea of (laughs) Boba Fett, um, kind of coming back in any capacity. And, uh, um, you know, I think I've really just, um, you know, kind of, they, you know, they, they earned the, um, the interest from me. Um, this is something like not that, you know on paper i would if you asked me if i wanted this you know prior to season 2 i'd be like no <laughs> like divert your resources elsewhere <laughs> not not this please um but you know i think uh they you know they've they've done an awesome job with the character um you know bringing him back and making him like an incredibly interesting character with like a lot of things going on um a lot of stories to tell and then you know seeing seeing Robert on gallery and just like you know he's he's one of like one of the old school people that like I just never understood like how how you can just see this guy with you know three lines and like no real character arc in the films and be like yes I'm like fascinated by that guy um that's just never where you know my my head was at with the original trilogy um And but yeah, seeing, you know, seeing that passion and, you know, approach and then also just Tamira Morrison, like just embodying that character in such like a unique but like appropriate way um, has me really excited for this. And also just Ming-Na Wen, um, Fennec Shand just uh, is, you know, is has become a, a, a fan favorite character um for me and um especially in season two of mandalorian so um i think i i think it's going to be interesting um the direction the show goes um if you know if i think i'm like less interested in it if it's like you know (laughs) like crime lord solo mall uh type type deal, but if it's if it's like Boba and Fennec Shand like kind of uh you know maybe not like taking back the, you know, criminal underworld, but like just like eliminating it (laughs) and uh you know, um, but like I also like I don't I don't know what their motivation would be for that, but you know, we've seen, you know, Boba kind of kind of take on a new leaf so I'm I'm really curious like the why of um, of what they're what they're doing and what the kind of uh you know what is what's the story they're going to tell in this show but I mean the fact that I'm I'm curious is something like I'm <laughs> I didn't really expect from a Boba Fett show but um, yeah I'm I'm really really intrigued by this and excited for it
0: yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, the why is uh, definitely a, b- a big question. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious as well to, uh, to find out. Um, and, uh, the, the show is in production now. So, um, this one, you know, will be the next, uh, I think the next live action show. Um, so we talked about that, uh, last time around, but we'll, we'll have a bit of a, a live action drought next year. Um, Well, it's not really a drought because we're used to waiting roughly a year for a new show, Um, (laughs) you know, between seasons of The Mandalorian. But once we get past that, that one year gap um i don't think we'll be having gaps like that for the foreseeable future so um, yeah i mean yeah. you
1: say we're used to waiting one year for a live action show but we've done that once well we've done
0: it once right 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 but yeah. since the inception of star wars television it's like it's not out of the norm you know yeah. to have a year in between shows it's just going to be out of the norm um you know so i'm already like oh huh, we got to wait a whole year what the heck you know even though that's <laughs> uh where where we should be um So, yeah, but, uh, you know, he said John Favreau was on Good Morning America, which um, I caught bits and pieces of. And um, he said they're in production on which the press release did as well. But they're in production on on season. Well, on Book of Boba Fett. um, And then they'll do season three after that. Um, But I'm kind of curious, too, like if um, if season three will immediately follow, I guess it probably will um, in terms of production. Um, or are they going to do like Ahsoka and the, the Rangers of the new Republic and all that too, before Mando season three, like, does that all feed into Mando season three? You know, I would assume at least the book of Boba Fett does in some way. Um, so yeah, lots of questions there. Definitely. You know, I think the most important one is, is what is the direction and purpose of the show? Like you brought up. So, uh, we'll see, but, um, but, uh, good, good to have at least some of that cleared up in terms of, you know. Um, does it replace Mandalorian? What does it mean for the Mandalorian? You know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, cool. All right. Well then let's move on to discussing the art of Mandalorian book. Uh, Ryan, usually in the past, we have sort of devoted a whole episode to the art of books, which, Mm -hmm. um, we certainly could have done, uh, with this one too, um, but it was a little bit, uh, different this time around because it came out as the show was airing as well. So it's like each week we were talking about new, new episodes of the show and, um, you know, we were both reading the book, did read the book. Uh, but it was, it was, it, I guess there was, there was more going on, um, at the time, uh, ongoing. So we didn't stop and, and do a whole episode, um, on the book alone. Um, but we want to talk about it at least a little bit because it's another incredible art of book from Phil Showstack um which i really really enjoyed. So i'm going to just like slide some stuff around on my desk here to make room for this coffee table book. So i'll mute myself for a second but uh if you want to kick us off on talking about uh, art of mandalorian here.
2: Yeah,
1: so i just kind of grabbed um you know i just went through and put in some post-it notes for some of my some of my favorite favorite bits from the book which um i'm going to talk about here. Um, but I think what's interesting about this uh this art of book is there's let there was for the production of the Mandalorian there was less of the kind of experimental phase of the of the art art department um as opposed to like kind of what we what we got with, like, the films in the past. Um, so there's, you know, in those, like, film books um, for, you know, Force Awakens and, um, you know, all the sequel trilogy and Solo and Rogue One, um, there's just a lot of experimenting happening on the page. Um, but I think for two reasons, there's less of that in with The Mandalorian. I think one reason is they just had a shorter turnaround time so um you know there is a lot of like the the first idea is the best idea um and then also I think you know um it it seems like um you know Jon Favreau really had a lot of this Mandalorian stuff like pretty clearly visualized in his head um and was able to just like really articulate that to the art department so like it seems and this is just going by the book that's you know kind of what we know but it seems like um you know he was able to like explain his vision to um to the art department and like they you know got it on the page and then kind of what's on the page is what you see in the show and i think that's like really just apparent from um, just watching the show and seeing the, um, you know, we we see art from the show in uh, pretty much every episode in the in credits. So like you kind of, and you, you're, there's no real like disconnect where you're like, whoa, that's wild and out there. That's nothing like I saw in the show. Like, you know, sometimes like characters like hair may be shorter or something, but like, you know, a, a, a lot of this uh, concept art, they like, You know, it went from John's brain to the page to live action. Um, So I think in like some ways, like this, uh, this art book is like a little weird for a Star Wars art book because like you're, you're looking at it and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that episode. I remember that episode where sometimes, especially with the, um, especially like I'm thinking of like Force Awakens in particular, you look at that art book and you're like, whoa what even is this that's nothing like what ended up in the film kind of thing did sure. you hear that vibe as well
0: um yeah in both cases i mean in, in this one um yeah for sure the uh the art is um is much closer to what you see on screen in most cases um you know one notable well yeah i'll say that that, that the art is uh the artist is much closer in most cases um with, uh, the force awakens specifically, you know, I think that, that totally makes sense. And, and yeah, I remember, um, that's one of the things that was really exciting about reading that book is how, you know, much, um, just kind of conceptual stuff that, that was so different than, than what you saw in the movie. Cause it was like, um, just possibilities and, uh, and, and, you know, um, and, and yeah, just, uh, took you down the road of, of considering, um, you know, the process and, 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 how it could have gone in different directions and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's really fun. Um, one, uh, kind of notable, uh, example here though, um, in, in the art of book. So I guess this would be one of the things that I would um, pick out to talk about is, um, unsurprisingly, but the, the design period, um, or the design phase for uh, Grogu, um, the child, you know, um, cause that is one where it's like, yeah, there's, there's tons of beautiful paintings and, and drawings in here of, um, of Grogu, um, close to how he looks now, you know, in the show, but, um, you know, you do get to kind of see the process of them finding Grogu's look, um, uh, through a couple pages here of, uh, of this book. And, uh, it's, it's really interesting because it's like, well, we know what Yoda looks like, right? So Grogu should, would just be a smaller version of Yoda. And you, you wouldn't necessarily think, um, of how much effort would go into finding the right look for a character like that. I mean, on the one hand you would because obviously he's he's central to the show and super important to the show, but at the same time it's like, well, he's a Yoda but smaller, you know. <laughs> um but uh, you know, the the details of course are so important and um and um you know, it's like there's there's some great uh concepts for for Grogu that aren't you know, what they landed on that are good. But also just like when you see the actual Grogu concept, you know, for the first time um, in a drawing or painting here, it's like, oh, oh, my God. You know, I mean, yeah, that's that's it, obviously, because I've seen him on screen already, but also because it's just right. You know what I mean? And it works. And yeah, uh, yeah just always fascinating to see the the process of how they they uh, come to these designs. And uh, obviously, that's one of the most valuable parts of these these art of books. So.
1: Yeah, and I think with the Grogu thing, it's, like, really interesting how they how they got there and, like, how, like, you, you mentioned, like, yeah, we know what, you know, you just make a smaller Yoda. Um, but then you, you have to kind of think about Yoda. Like, we have Yoda from, you know, the original trilogy in Empire and Jedi, who's, you know, kind of frail and, like, hunched over. And then you have, like, yoda from um you know phantom menace like he's he's mostly just kind of sitting around um but you have yoda from like attack of the clones who's like very upright and like he's a he's a standing man yoda and there is like one uh one piece of concept art that's like it's like a a standing child with like a yoda head on it (laughs) in here and um it's like it's like a like a little green boy and um and yeah so i think like the way they kind of like scrunched him scrunched grogu down into something you know really like kind of compact and like cute um is like really fascinating
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um so then, you know, the, the, the structure of the book, um, cause we always kind of, you know, discuss the the structure of these books and how they're laid out and how, how Phil puts them together. Um, this one, uh, just does kind of go episode by episode for the most part. It starts out with like sort of the, the initial pitch process and, and, uh, getting it off the ground, which, you know, was another part of this that was definitely fascinating, um, They've talked about that a little bit in Disney Gallery and, and in you know press and stuff, but um, really interesting to, to to read about you know, well uh, yeah, Dave uh, set up a meeting with Kathy, and um, you know it was on this day at this place, and uh, on that day at that place he pitched a show about a lone wolf and cub Star Wars Mandalorian thing, and uh, they were like, okay, let's do that, and then within weeks you know the art department's like up and running, and they're. Um, it's just, it's TV, I guess, or really it's probably the case with, uh, with Star Wars stuff in general, but it's, um, it's so laborious, I think to, and there's so much that goes into, you know, such a complicated production that it's like, yeah, we're going to do Mandalorian. Okay, cool. Um, get Doug Chang on ASAP. And like, you know, they really just started, um, just just to see those dates and, uh, to kind of see like the timeline and the process is, is really, um, you know, super interesting. And, and that's something that, you know, I don't think you'd really seen anywhere before this book, um, in terms of having, you know, any real knowledge of that stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, yeah, but otherwise, you know, the, the book does just kind of go episode by episode. So, um, tons of art from concept art from each episode. Um, but then, you know, there's like an introduction, text heavy, uh, you know, kind of introduction to it that, that lays out, you know, who the players were and, And, uh, what some of the challenges and, and, and goals for the episodes were and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's very digestible because it's like, you know, when I was reading the book, I would just sort of sit down and, and, uh, you know, usually I would read one, you know, about one episode at a time. Um, so just kind of read that introduction and, uh, soak that in and then, you know, um, just page through all the art and, and the captions and stuff like that. So, um, they always, you know, they always kind of follow some kind of format like that, whether it's thematic or it's, you know, planet by planet or, or whatever it may be. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, this time, of course, episode by episode and, uh, yeah, it's just a really, really great kind of, um, you know, look into the, to the process of, uh, of making each one. Um, did you have other kind of like favorite parts you wanted to talk about Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think, um, as far as like, um, just, design process. I really liked um on pages fifty-eight and fifty-nine the um the various uh ideas and iterations of um the armor, um who's known as uh, the blacksmith in in here um yeah I think that's uh just some some really cool um designs just kind of across across the board taking from like a lot of um, you know, various, uh, various cultures and, um, different kind of like warrior motifs. Um, so I thought that was, that was really interesting. Um, and I know this is one that you highlighted, um, was the, the, there's also kind of like a sub story in, in the book, um, that is the, the integration of Dave Filoni into live action Star Wars. Yeah. Filmmaking. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Um, I mean, I just think, you know, uh, like I was saying before that the, the book gives you some insight into some of the stuff that you otherwise wouldn't get necessarily. Um, because, you know, like in Disney gallery, they talked about the fact that, that, you know, you know, Dave was brought in to do this stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, especially now watching the most recent Disney gallery, it's like you see tons of uh, chummy footage between Dave and John. And now, you know, I think it really was season one when they announced it. Um, it was very much like, you know, they would talk about Dave and Dave was brought up all the time. And, and Dave was on stage in, in Chicago when we were, you know, saw the when we were lucky enough to be there for the Mandalorian panel um, celebration. And so it's not like they ever downplayed or 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 you know um didn't talk about his involvement or anything but i feel like with season one it was like john is doing a uh a star wars show um also dave is is um going to be part of it too he's doing an episode you know it's like oh wow okay he's doing live action um but i feel like once uh season one came out and was a huge hit and everything like now it very much feels like the john and dave filoni like john Favro and dave filoni show you know like um and obviously they're both executive producers but uh But yeah, it's really clear how integral he has been, kind of all along. And I know it is John, you know, John Favreau's concept, um, and and uh, he had the concept and pitched the concept, and then they kind of paired him up with Dave. But I think since then, it it really has become, you know, very integral um, part of that. And so it's 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 really interesting to read about that um, process here in the book. Um, And specifically, I think what you're referring to, Ryan. I don't have the page right now, though. Do you have the page? um, Thanks. Page 70? hmm Yeah. Um, I had texted everybody and kind of brought up the fact that um, there's a, a nice little bit in here from uh, Dave and uh, John and uh, talking about that process and um, uh, specifically um, <laughs> the uh, Filoni talking about going and, and being on The Last Jedi um, because Kathy, you know, once he had expressed that he wanted to do uh, live action, Kathy was like, well, yeah, let's uh, pair you up with some of these, these directors as they're making these sequel films or these new Star Wars films. And um, you can kind of see the process and stuff like that. So it was a great quote from Dave here where he recounts that uh, Ryan Johnson had me right up next to him with the camera. He shoved lenses in my hand and said, look through here. He'd bring me along to show me how to block a scene. Ryan was so supportive of my interest in doing live action as was his producer, Ron Bergman they really made me feel like this is something I can do. Um and so that was cool, you know, to see um that and uh but also just to point out the fact that like hey, you know, um, Kathleen Kennedy uh who sometimes some of us, some people um you know, kind of blame things on her when <laughs> things don't go the way they want and then when things do go the way they want, there's there's not a word to be said about Kathleen Kennedy. Um I watched gremlins last night and I would like to say that that's one of my favorite movies. And she, um, is a, an executive producer on that. And many of our favorite movies, um, just as an aside, but, uh, yeah, no, um, I think it's really cool that, uh, that she, you know, set them up. And again, we, we knew that, um, they've talked about that, but, you know, reading a book like this, you get additional insight and detail on how that happened and, uh, and that kind of thing. Yep.
1: Yep. Um, And I think the other thing I really wanted to highlight, um, pages 206 and 207, there is this wonderful uh, just two-page spread of concept art of IG-11. And, well, yeah, he's just called the Ugnaught in in the art book, um, Quill, uh, hanging out... Um, in his, like, his home, uh, just, uh, smoking a space hookah. Um, and, like, I, I think this is cool, not in just, like, a, like, hey, recreational drug use in Star Wars, um, is cool. Um, but just... Well, it's
0: likely tobacco, Ryan. You know, it could just be tobacco in the hookah.
1: It could be. It could be, uh, (laughs) death sticks, vaping... (laughs) I guess I don't know what would they call it be could
2: be spice. Could be spice. I,
1: I, I feel like it's it, it's probably spicier. Um <laughs> is my guess. But just like that really I don't know, that just like really gives a lot of, you know it's it's just like a good vibe for that character in the sense like like dude has has lived some stuff, he's seen some stuff, he's really tried to just like you know break away from that stuff and just find peace outside of the galactic conflict and you know and he's just uh just kind of like hanging out in his home um you know consuming whatever substance he enjoys and (laughs) just like reflecting and uh you know uh potentially like expanding his uh his thought bubble um you know through that and i just i don't know just there's something just really uh really wonderful about that um to me i don't know why like i'm so affected by like um you know in this this picture but like just thinking about his character and like you know his not just his character arc in the the mandalorian which you know ends pretty tragically but heroically but tragically mm. um, but like just we we got so you know we just got these little hints about his life in um, you know in season one of the Mandalorian and it really just like you know has kind of got my like imagination going of like man like he's he lived a hard life but he you know he found He found peace um, and then he, you know, he found a way to do good and to help people, you know, at the end of his life. And uh, yeah, I don't know, just, uh, just a really, really special character in this, this piece kind of like makes me reflect on that.
0: Well, we all get emotional about different things and in Star Wars, Ryan, Um, you know, for me, a lot of times it's the, uh, it's the, um, I'm a Jedi, like my father before me moment, or, um, you know, uh, Han and, 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 and Kylo Ben, um, in, in, uh, in episode nine, you know, um, having that that moment between each other, you know, that one, um, gets me, uh, a lot and, and, uh, other moments like that, you know, for you, it's an Ugnaught who gets high, I guess. Uh, that's, that's the thing that really gets you. <laughs> um, no, uh, actually I was going to say if if I had anything else to, to kind of, you know, pull out or, or mention as far as the highlights of the book goes, um, two things are that, the, the, the kind of two page spreads, you know, um, cause there's a lot of like really great, like two page, you know, um, just full page spreads, um, of beautiful art here, like this one, um, mm-hmm. of the Ugnot getting roasted there. Um, but also, um, uh, just all the queer stuff, um, uh, actually, cause I just, you know, obviously I love him, um, as most of us do, I think. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, the book is. Uh, you know, I I do love the, the art of book. I think it's incredible. One of the best yet. Um, but it's a lot of helmeted characters, you know what I mean? Lots of helmeted characters and lots of creatures. And so I think the, the kind of humanity or, uh, uh, soul of Quill is, um, that much more, you know, kind of welcome in this book. Uh, maybe, and maybe that's why it was so welcome in the show too. But, um, yeah. Just, uh, all, all the concept art of him is, is a highlight. Uh, I guess also because he's a character who was, you know, gone too soon. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, I, I could have definitely, um, enjoyed a lot more quill, um, as the, if he had st- stuck around. So it was nice to see all this, um, this concept art of him in, uh, in this art of book.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. Well, uh, we certainly recommend, um, anybody listening who has not uh, checked it out, um, Uh, you know, do that, track it down, check it out. It's, it's fantastic as all of the um, art of books are and uh, all of the art of books are still in print. So um, I think, you know, I I talked about this recently on the show too, I think, but as I moved offices in my house and was setting up all this star Wars stuff in my, in my office again, um, I really think like my favorite, you know, thing in my star Wars collection um, or favorite part of my star Wars collection is the, uh, the nonfiction Star Wars books, you know, the coffee table books and, um, you know, really the art of books. I mean, along with the, you know, uh, the making of, and, you know, certain other books like that, but really, I mean, these, these books are, are kind of my most, uh, favorite Star Wars, uh, collectibles. So, um, yeah, I certainly always recommend checking those out. So, um, from there, why don't we move to talking about Disney gallery, the Mandalorian season two, Ryan, Mm -hmm. um, which came out on Christmas day. I've watched it once. I think you've watched it twice already. Is that true? Is that accurate?
1: Uh, That is accurate. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, And so of course we were really excited about this when it was announced. Um, Initially I thought it was going to be like season one of Disney gallery, which, or season one of the Mandalorian and, the accompanying disney gallery which was an episode it wasn't an episode per episode but it was a multi-episode run right Um, about different topics and things like that Mm -hmm. Um, and they were like what 25 30 minutes long per episode and uh, this time around it's one hour long special Um, so you know uh, that was I don't want to say disappointing, um, but a little bit of surprise, the different thing this time around. I think it does make sense to just kind of do um, a, a larger kind of, you know, behind the scenes special rather than do episode by episode, especially because kind of the topics that they talked about in the first season of Disney gallery, the Mandalorian would be, you know, they talked about directing for instance. And it's like, well, you could do another full episode about the directing in season two but that would maybe kind of you'd probably have to retread some similar ground and things like that too so um maybe makes sense to to kind of do it this way instead what did you think about the 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 one episode approach versus the multi-episode approach
1: i mean it's it's a different format um like in general because you had the um the sort of round table um approach with the different um you know you had the different directors but you also had like Kathy Kennedy and you had ILM people kind of coming in and like you know rotating spots and having these conversations with um you know kind of like Favreau and Filoni being kind of like the bedrocks at the table who were just like always kind of there um but this is this was more of like a traditional um you know kind of what we expect from a traditional, like, Star Wars behind the scenes, um, I don't, I don't quite want to call it, like, a documentary, um, but it's definitely, like, a, you know, a behind the scenes with a narrative flow to it, um, so it, it was a different approach, and, um, you know, I do, I do kind of miss the conversational aspect of the round table, um, I, I really loved, um, just you know the the different especially the directors um just kind of like building off each other and um in those conversations even though like what we got was like very heavily edited um like that still was really cool but this um I think was just you know like they they really just packed in a lot of good stuff into <laughs> this one episode and we'll we'll talk kind of at the end like I don't feel like this is the last, uh, Disney gallery for season two. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of see on that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the format is very, like I was thinking about it after I watched it yesterday. Um, and it's a pretty, you know, standard kind of approach for obviously like a a behind the scenes special like this or documentary like this. Um, and, uh, very similar to stuff that they've done for, um, the other films and, and things like that. Uh, you know, so it very much is. where Whereas the first season of of um, Disney Gallery for The Mandalorian was kind of a unique, you know, roundtable format, that kind of thing. Um, this is much more along the lines of what they typically do with these kind of uh, featurettes or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I think part of that is probably the pandemic for sure. You know, <laughs> necessitated that, um, and then also you know, it is a style and a format they're comfortable with and, and use all the time, of course, a pretty basic, um, approach where, uh, but they have a lot obviously of like B-roll or, uh, you know, onset footage and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I was thinking about it and it kind of feels like, um, they did a lot of, uh, interviews with individuals and, uh, you know, they have that audio and they, um, kind of piece together a narrative based on, you know, all that commentary from those interviews, but you don't get a lot of, um, which I think is good. You don't get a ton of just like talking head footage, you know, where it's the, the footage of those interviews because they have so much of that behind the scenes, B roll, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, obviously, you know, works really well because, uh, you get to kind of hear the story, um, of the production, you know, from the, from the people involved in, in, in the production. Um, but you know, it's not just uh watching people talk. You know, you have a lot of footage um from behind the scenes as well. So uh yeah, that works that works really well. Um, you know, I'm I I kind of like the the juicier sort of just like um watch this unfold rather than having a, a sort of um uh heavily edited, as you say, kind of uh narrative pieced together um to tell the the story that, that they want to tell but uh you know i think like the 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 point of something like this is mostly to be you know kind of celebratory um or you know i guess if you want to be a little more cynical promotional or whatever right but uh yeah it's it's not really to uh it, it's not really to explore like you know the the, the trials and tribulations and the difficulties and the conflicts or anything like that. It's just like, Hey, let's, let's celebrate all the great work that was done on, on, on putting together this, this fantastic show. So, um, I think they, they found a really good format for doing that. Um, that being said, a lot of things that are addressed in, in the, in the special or whatever you want to call it, uh, the episode, it's like they spend two or three minutes on it and it's like, whew, I could have I used a whole 10 minute, you know, 15 minute featurette on a Blu-ray. Um, about something like that. You know what I mean? Like, rather than just two minutes on it. Um so lots of things are are glossed over pretty quickly, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think that would probably be like kind of my um biggest uh, I guess like disappointment with it is like and that's why I felt I had to watch it twice. Cause like it was like, usually, even on, like, um, you know, the Star Wars featurettes we're kind of used to, like, they they linger on things for a while, and, like, you know, you really kind of, like, unpack them, but, like, this is, this is, like, really quickly paced, and so, yeah, like you were saying, like, there's, there's really no more than, like, two or three minutes um, spent on, like, any, any single topic where, you know, in, like, not so much with the you know the recent film releases um and of the disney era but you think back to like the the prequel like dvds and how like you know just there were so many um you know just so many featurettes just based on like one topic and like these 10 15 minute topic like featurettes like based on like this one lightsaber fight or something like how, how they did this. And, you know, and you have the stunt people coming in and everything. And like, you get that here, but it's like, it's so fast. Like it's, because it's covering, you know, eight episodes of this show um, in an hour, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's one of the things where, you know, if you, Um, and I've only watched it once, you know, but it's like, and I'm not a documentary filmmaker, so I can't, I don't know exactly how the process works or anything, but, uh, it's like they have all this onset footage, you know? Um, and I think the story could be told, um, much more so like through that onset footage if they wanted to spend the time on it, but I think it's a lot more efficient and you can be a lot quicker, um, but also a little more superficial, I think too, if you just have like somebody in a room that you're interviewing and they say like, well, this is how this all went down. Like they can tell that fairly efficiently, you know what I mean? And quickly. Um, And then you just have that B roll footage rolling, you know, as the, the voiceover kind of covers it versus if you want to like, you know, you could, you could use more of that footage to let us watch those things happen on set. You know what I mean? but that's going to take longer. Um, and it's just not the style that they're probably going for, um, so much here, but cause even like, um, I, I don't remember if you ended up watching it or not, Ryan, but there was the, the, uh, the like two hour documentary, um, that came out with the rise of Skywalker, um, blu-ray. And uh, I'm just remembering, like, for instance, Eunice, who was the stunt coordinator uh, on on Rise of Skywalker, like she became like a star in Star Wars Twitter um, <laughs> after that documentary came out just because there was like so much footage of her and you got to see so much of what she was doing, you know, on set and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's just one example, um, of course. And and there's lots of other uh, super talented people involved in all these things that that also don't get, you know like all that time it's you know it just is what it is um but yeah it just i think that's one of the benefits of of uh having uh, spending more time and in using more kind of behind the scenes you know kind of footage uh versus the interview stuff to tell the story
1: yeah and uh just kind of tangentially related to the rise of skywalker thing um i i haven't watched that documentary yet i haven't actually like gone into the bonus features on um the rise of skywalker disc at all uh-huh. but i did just read an interview with um and i forgot her name eunice um, well the the woman who shot all of the documentary
0: oh okay um, there yeah, was an not...
1: interview with her in the new star wars insider and huh? uh, it was a fascinating interview and I was like yeah I need to watch um this uh this documentary but she said that they have they had like thousands of hours of footage because she they her and her team just shot the whole time yeah and you know just how tantalizing is that to know like because like even just like you know going back to reading Star Wars archives um being like Whoa, that's a you know that's a photograph that was taken on the set of Empire Strikes Back that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have so much more insight now because like I'm looking at this like black and white photograph um, from behind the scenes, and then it's like, just like, what if someone just like accidentally just like dumped 2,000 hours of like behind the scenes Star Wars documentary? <laughs> uh like i man well <laughs> oh,
0: man. And, and that is one of the things with that Rise of Skywalker i i forget what it's called now i think it is it's i don't know i forget what it's called but um that's one of the things with that one is it's like there's it, it, I, most of it is the Rise of Skywalker but there is some archival footage from the original trilogy behind the scenes stuff um which we talked about quite a bit actually last year or 2019 well that's still last year yeah um we talked a lot about the choice to to kind of you know use some of that stuff in the documentary whatever but um it is exciting when you especially when it's like you've seen so much behind the scenes footage you've seen so many photos like you were saying about the star wars archives like when you get something new you know from that time so the good news is and, and also like we should give them credit um you know as far as this disney gallery like this is a week after the final episode aired. you know what I mean? And this documentary is already like good to go, ready set, you know? I mean, obviously the production occurred a long time ago, um, uh, of the, like producing the season, the actual onset production. So it's not like they had to make this documentary in a week or something, but you know, um, it's pretty cool of, of the Disney plus or, you know, however you want to put it. It's pretty cool that there's this like great, you know, special, uh, hour long special already, you know, um, as soon as the, the season ends. But uh you know, the other part of that is that there of course is tons and tons of footage, right? Cause they were only able to, you know, structure this documentary the way they did because they obviously had somebody there filming um a ton. So there's a lot of footage that, you know, can come out later on and uh more maybe in depth uh sort of like documentaries and stuff that can be made with um with some of this footage down the road. So yeah. Um I I don't necessarily think we'll get another episode of of uh, Disney gallery, the Mandalorian about season two. Um, like you're, you're hoping, uh, I mean, I'm, i I, join you in hoping that occurs, but, uh, I feel like they, they decided this time around to just be like, well, we're just doing one. It's, you know, it's the episode for the whole season and that's it. Um, but, uh, you know, it could be like if we get a season three in much in the same way that, that Phil Shosef does with the art books where, uh, you know, like, well, I, I didn't want to give away the ending of the last Jedi. Um, or or risk of spoiling that so we don't have anything about luke on crate in the last jedi art of book but we'll put that in the rise of skywalker art of book you know so uh, maybe we'll get like some some of the footage of luke uh mark mark camel and and making the luke thing happen Uh, maybe we'll get some of that in a season three mandalorian gallery you know episode or something
1: yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I just
0: want to jump the gun and <laughs> jump into the end of the episode, talking about that. But <laughs> yeah,
1: so I think that's kind of like one of the big things here is like we we see footage from um, you know every episode, including the um, the the finale, but there's no mention of Luke Skywalker um, in the in the entire featurette. Um, oh. So that's uh, I think there's good reason for that. Um, I think it. Could be like they just wanted to protect that secret, Mm -hmm. um, which they did. (laughs) It's still pretty amazing that that, um, at least to my ears and eyes, that did not leak. Um,
0: Yeah, I don't think so. There was a lot of speculation, especially as the season went on and it became more evident that that was likely where it could go or would go. But I, I don't remember seeing anything. Now, I'm trying to avoid Mandalorian spoilers for the most part, too, but I don't remember seeing anything that, uh, that indicated, you know, people knew he would be back the way we knew Bo-Katan would be there. We knew, you know, even like Timothy Oliphant and stuff, we knew, you know, basically. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think it, it was ever a concrete, you know, leak or anything about Luke. So that was great.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if that's because they, um, you know, they, ha- they have that footage somewhere, but like mm-hmm. It's like nope. We uh, this is this is staying in the box as long as it can, um, or if um, or if it was just like a closed set. Because um, again, going back to Star Wars Archives, like the uh, the amount of stuff in like Empire and Jedi, where um, where they just had like the the bare minimum amount of people on the set to like preserve secrets. Mm -hmm. like that feels you know that's it's kind of a star wars tradition
0: (laughs) yeah right right yeah um i would hope there's they had one person with a camera or something you know what i mean like documenting that but um but even just to get the documentary produced you know what i mean like uh, how many different hands does it have to go through and editors and you know all that you know kind of post-production stuff it's like if you just leave that out you know um because even like same thing with the art of books it's like well i'm sure you know obviously phil showstack had seen all that art you know um and uh the artists who made it <laughs> well although that's really interesting when you read the art of books like sometimes you know phil will write about uh you know these two or three artists were working on this sequence and uh you know they work in a like a different room you know what i mean than other artists do and uh Like if you're a concept, I guess the point I'm trying to make, if you're a concept artist on the rise of Skywalker, um, only a couple of concept artists, maybe are going to work on a specific sequence or scene. And the, maybe not even every concept artist knows about that, you know, to try to keep it. it like only those who need to know, you know what I mean? Um, so you can imagine that like, well, okay, so if we put that in the book, then the, publishers and editors at Abrams have to see it and it's going to go to the print shop to be printed and like all those different things. Right. So I'm um, sure it's a similar kind of process with getting uh, a special like this produced and ready to put up on online and all that. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, can we just, can we hit some, uh, some favorite moments?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I made, I made a list <laughs> um, on my, on my second viewing. Yeah. Um, first of all, um tantalizing within the first minute of the documentary you have george lucas and rosario dawson having a laugh
0: yeah
1: and that we we don't see any more from uh from that uh that meeting um in the in the documentary um you know i you know i i saw that and i was like is this the one is this the one where we hear George Lucas say something about this show?
0: Right,
2: right, right. Like,
1: we've seen him on set. We've seen him pictured. D- does he say something? This <laughs> like that, that's like what I, you know, I just I I want that so bad. Um, but it is like you know, if uh, you know, if maybe the the first season was him, you know um kind of kind of giving you know his uh protege his blessing and you know kind of i i i like to think he's he's proud of dave um in oh, yeah. in that and like i but then like why is he back there for uh season 2 is he like was was he coming down just to see Ahsoka? <laughs> like i mean honestly like cuz that's you know he him and dave co-created that character like was that you know i because i I don't think we've really heard i there's probably interviews out there especially around like the time of clone wars but like i don't actually like know how george feels about ahsoka and like how much like ownership or connection he has to the character um so i'm i'm that's something i'm kind of curious about
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I'd have to go back and, you know, try to look into that too, I guess. Uh, I I don't have, uh, strong memories of, of George talking about Ahsoka, um, too much, but I'm sure there's, there's plenty of, you know, promotional stuff, interviews and things from, from the time when the Clone Wars was on, um, with him, him talking about, um, Ahsoka and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's just him and Dave are buddies and, um, you know it's like uh the the production of uh, mandalorian season two is months long and i'm sure at some point during those months he was in the la area or whatever and you know like or even if not he lives in san francisco half the time it's a what an hour long plane ride or whatever to get down there so um yeah I, i i could definitely see it i think most likely is just hey um I'm not involved in Star Wars anymore, but it's not like I don't care about it. And um, you know, my my friend Dave is is doing an episode, and uh, you know, even though it's like, well, okay, that's not his first live action episode anymore. Um, like you said, like this is a character we created together, and uh, yeah, I just I, I it doesn't surprise me that he was there. I mean, he went and he, he went and visited uh, all the sequel trilogy sets too. I think uh, maybe not Rise of Skywalker, but I know. Um, I think he did though. But anyway, yeah, he, he visited, even visited Rogue One, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, he didn't really have any connection to that or anything, but, uh, you know, so I, I, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that he was there. Um, but man, I'm with you. Like, I want to hear him talk about this stuff. Like, I just want to know, uh, or not even know, I just, I just would love to hear what he has to say. You know what I mean? Um, so that would be cool. I, I think I, you know, when I saw him, in the documentary, uh, you know, that, that initial moment, I was like, I thought about it and, and, you know, I thought that there's probably this agreement where it's like, Hey, you know, I'll come visit the set, you know, or like you, you can, we'll, we'll invite you to come visit the set. Um, and, uh, it's like, yeah, you'll have the cameras on and, you know, you know, you could film whatever, but I I bet there's a sort of an agreement there or whatever, where (laughs) I want my privacy. I don't want it to be Cause you know, he opens his mouth and says anything about the Mandalorian and
1: 500 headlines. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure that like part of him visiting the set is this will be fun and I'll enjoy it and, uh, we can relax and, 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 you know, I'll hang out, but I don't want it to turn into a documentary about me visiting the set or anything, you know? Yeah. So, but like we were saying before, there's a lot more footage of George on that set. Um, that is not in this documentary now that could surface down the road
1: yep yep (laughs) so yeah that's uh that is a tantalizing tease
0: Um, and and we we might as well just while we're on the subject of george too there's also the little shot later where david or i mean john is like do you want to hold the baby um and george is like well you're being mean (laughs) which i didn't really understand the the exchange there but i had to turn on the subtitles to even hear what george was talking about yeah um but he was being pretty playful i feel like like they were just goofing around and you know to see george like a grandfather holding little grogu was pretty cute
1: yeah and that's where um was th- was that the genesis of the the blurry instagram photo
0: i think so <laughs> i think so i think so <laughs>
1: like I, i'm looking at him like with his camera there taking i'm like you you took like like 10 10 shots here like that that really like blurry out of focus one that you posted on insta was was the best one like
0: well ahsoka was in the background probably so you had to go with the blurry one which is which is crazy too because it's like that that photo came out like during or right at the end of uh, season one airing you know and it's like we're all thinking like oh yeah this is a photo from some season one episode behind the scenes, and it was like, no, that was already <laughs> that was the Ahsoka episode that they were filming um, when we were watching <laughs> season one on, on Disney Plus.
1: Um, okay, another uh, another another John Favro uh, low light here um, was him trying to talk Dave Filoni into uh, getting, I believe, getting Mando to say McClunky. <laughs> nine,
0: yeah yeah that was uh that was pretty surprising um i think i was confused when i was watching that because it was like well i did hear someone say mcclunky so i was like you know um i interpreted that exchange with dave and john about mcclunky as like dave being like no you don't want to do that you know don't do that that'll be way too silly um and then you know like it that's the end of the sequence there but i was like well john won that argument you know um but i guess not really because it's a different like they're talking about uh chapter what nine like you said yeah, yeah. so McClunkey yeah. strikes back later on but not yeah. not as a result of that conversation i guess
1: return of the McClunky. revenge yeah. McClunky. right um, happens you know at the in in the very final sequence of season two um but i think he wanted mando to say it and yeah. dave was like no he's he, he wouldn't say that you can't be serious but like i, I just i actually like i just really love that exchange and i love that that was something that was captured on camera yeah like yeah it's fantastic
0: well that was one of our takeaways when we left the uh the celebration panel it was like how fun it is to see Dave and John interact with each other and the kind of camaraderie that they have. So yeah. um yeah, definitely seeing more of that now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I think also, um, going on to uh chapter chapter ten, um, during that discussion, the the praise for uh Misty for yep. her frog lady performance yep. was was awesome because like that is like I mean you and I were huge fans of that episode. Um and just, you know, I I, I think Frog Lady's a hit. Like at least <laughs> like on my Twitter timeline. Um I see that I see that hashtag a few times a day. Um every day. And uh I, I think we we love we love Frog Lady and um but I think part of it is like it's like it's a cool kind of silly costume but there there is a really great performance there um, from uh, Miss, Misty Rosas who also was Queel um, mm-hmm. and just just the way that she captured so much nuance and I mean I think it's also it's just a great costume like it's such a great like head sculpt that mm-hmm. like conveys a lot despite being like a pretty immovable rubber head um and yeah like it it was awesome seeing um seeing her and like that performance and that episode kind of kind of getting getting some love and there
0: yeah that's the first uh first bullet point i wrote down as i was um, watching the episode was the missy rosas um you know, kind of love and uh appreciation. And uh, I thought Pedro Pascal's comments about her were really great. Um he's posted stuff about her on his uh, social media before too um about how great she is and and uh yeah um and I think that's cool, you know, one actor to another, that kind of thing. Um he's he's delightful, I feel like, um throughout the documentary. Um seems like such a great um and just like, you know, um kind hearted guy. And uh, so, yeah, very nice to see that uh, appreciation for her. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, So well, what else did you, uh, I have a couple other notes about it, but what what else do you have, Ryan?
1: All right, so um, Shauna, the costume designer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to see her featured um, a lot more. I think, you know, especially when we go to like, um, you know, when we're talking about like, you know, BTS stuff from like, um, the like the prequel trilogy and stuff like you know there's there's so much talk about costumes, um which is you know such a such an important and integral part of star wars um throughout the years and seeing her featured a lot was awesome too um to be hearing from her and she um when she's talking about the um the the wonderful and beloved uh mancala sweaters um from uh from the uh the third episode um she she said something that i thought was like really re- a really cool like approach to it she said like in star wars everything is vintage so that's like yeah what she was like the look she was going for and like because like and i think that's one of those kind of like ambiguous terms but like you 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 can't like really clearly define it but like you know what it is and it's like you can you can envision it um and i think like yeah i mean the costuming across the board on i mean i would say on like all of disney era star wars has been fantastic but um you know on this show i think like so many of us just lost our minds when we saw Mancala in like these uh like fishermen like... sweater. <laughs> yeah, we're just it's so wonderful and like what because a... it could have just been them like, you know, standing there in like a like a leather vest or something or like whatever, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, kind of thing. But like it's you no, know, it's like this old school like fisherman sweater. And yeah, like it's just it's so perfect and like I don't know, she just has like a really good eye and like thought process for that stuff. So it was really cool to hear from her.
0: Yeah, I love that comment uh too. I thought that was great. The idea that you know you don't look to the future with the uh, with Star Wars costuming and that kind of stuff, but you look to the past. Because mm-hmm. it's a long, long time ago. So uh yeah I love that. Um I uh I pulled out a moment um Dave Dave Filoni talking about um the Boba Fett teas from season one with the uh Spurs and and uh uh fennec shand you know in that moment where her body's laying there and uh you know and h- just him talking to, with uh you know john Fabro about like how the fans would react to that i thought it was funny and i thought he was like 100 he like he knew exactly how fans would react he's like what? you know <laughs> he had it perfect he's like well first they'll think this then they'll do then they'll think you know it can't be oh no it is no they're messing with us like you know um really got into the the kind of like the thought process fans go through, and uh, you know, clear that uh, that Filoni ha has an idea of how uh, how the online kind of Star Wars uh, fandom interprets this stuff or or processes it. So I, I just thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, that was that was amazing. He was, I mean, he was one hundred percent right on. <laughs> like, I think you could probably go back and listen to our episode about that uh, chapter, and yeah. like we probably say exact lines. That he uh, that he said there, and yeah. I, you know that comes from him, um, you know him kind of you know obviously being a longtime Star Wars fan, but also kind of coming up in the online community of, around the prequels like and so like he was he was in on that like speculation and that like whole experience before he started working at Lucasfilm. So like he was, you know, he was a part of that um before he um, you know, was a part of Star Wars, um, in in the production sense. So I think like he he really knows that and he's still like I think that's awesome that he still has that like in the back of his mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um well, let's see, uh what else, Ryan?
1: Uh Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> man um so you know we we see him like early on in the documentary and like he has a guitar we see him later focused on in the documentary and he has a guitar (laughs) in every scene um he's uh just wearing this like super tight uh like these super tight like muscle shirts uh
0: Okay. One of, one of my bullet points, one of my notes is, uh, WTF is that shirt Rodriguez was wearing in the desert. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like a black and white gray, like skin tight. Yeah. Muscle shirt thing. Um, yeah. I-, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, <laughs> and, saw, and then he has a jacket on over it, like a lot of, in a lot of the shots, but there's a, a couple shots where he's like, well, what is this? Like, you know, is he going to wear Zuba's next or something? Like what's happening right now? It was crazy.
1: Yeah yeah uh super ripped dude um just like you know i don't you know you think about like um you know if if he's going to like get a cameo like as a as a stormtrooper or like an x-wing pilot or something at some point it's like man you're gonna have to like double the size of the cockpit if you put that dude in an x-wing because <laughs> uh yeah he's super ripped um and then you know play, just playing the guitar constantly which leads to some amazingness with uh Tamira Morrison mm. uh, at at one point but also the so he describes um his like his his pitch for the kind of reemergence of Boba Fett and he's like describing it and then he's like yeah so i had my my sons put on some like star wars costumes and like act this out in my backyard and i'm like oh that's that's cute like that's that's a funny story and then then it like cuts to the footage of this happening
2: yeah. and it's
1: like whoa you you actually shot that in your backyard like those are your kids and then here's your you're acting this out now with star wars action figures yeah this is this is the reel you put together to send to uh to lucasfilm huh
0: yeah, no, I thought that was fun. That was fun. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was like, hey, give me the job because like this right. looks so good. It was, you know, more like a an animatic or a, a rough sketch of like, you know, because I think they have to, you know, with, again, knowing nothing about how this stuff is done, but um, because of the special effects and even like you think about the volume and stuff that they might have to create for those sorts of things, I think they have to like really uh, lay out shot by shot in some cases, like what these scenes are going to look like way ahead of time. So um, yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of vis- to, to visualize it ahead of time, I guess. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think like, you know, some people would like maybe like sketch it out or yeah. um, sometimes, you know, there's like CG um, animatics that people make and stuff, but mm. it like, it really does kind of fit with, uh, you know, just Robert Rodriguez as like a, a director and an artist, but also like as a character. Um, mm. Cause like, yeah, like I was thinking and I, I remembered that um, probably 20, 25 years ago, maybe probably 20 years ago, um, when I first started kind of getting interested in film and like film studies, um, I, I read his book, and I had completely forgot that I had like read this book. Um, but on like kind of guerrilla filmmaking and stuff like how he, how he made um, El Mariachi and stuff. And, um, and yeah, like, it's, it's amazing um, because like, I remember thinking like, Oh, that's, that's so cool. Like, that's like not at all how I pictured like the film industry to work. Um, And so, yeah um thinking thinking back to that like that sequence actually triggered m- my like memories of reading that book 20 plus years ago um and uh yeah just the fact that he still has that spirit um that just kind of like DIY spirit you know plus like a vision where he's like, I ha- I have this all in my head. Like, I just, I need to like communicate it to people like somehow. Um, but then like, a- again, like I think that, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about star Wars within Disney it's, you know, giant, um, you know, the, the biggest, like the biggest entertainment corporation in the world. And like, you know, Lucasfilm is also just like a giant film corporation, but I I do really feel with the with Mandalorian like um they have kind of set up you know George's dream of just like you know being able to just get the right people in to just like make your thing like in your own place and not having to be relying on like you know like studios and studio interference but also just like having to travel all over like you just you have your with the volume like which isn't appropriate for this episode because they they did have to for roberts um they did have to travel but like um you know just just having your team and just being able to like make the thing that you want even if it is like kind of weird and you know maybe not uh something that like everyone's going to quite get um especially at first but you know, just being able to get your vision on screen, like I I don't know, like I still feel like you know it's it's a good fit for Robert Rodriguez.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah, I was just reading um, of course, you've heard or we've read and heard George talk about that kind of stuff all the time, but I was just reading in the uh, the uh, Star Wars Archives book, George talking about the initial plan for uh, for um, Zoetrope you know, um, with, uh, Francis Ford Coppola and, and the idea that, you know, they wanted to recapture the creative, um, spark and, and community of, of film school and how, you know, you, you know, they felt like you couldn't, you couldn't have that once you got out of film school. And that was part of what they were trying to do with American zoetrope. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really an interesting point. Actually, I'm sure, uh, George might feel that way himself, you know, like you said, that, uh, that, that collaborative spirit and, and that kind of like, DIY, you know, um, kind of thing is, uh, as maybe more realized here on the Mandalorian than, uh, than it, than it was, you know, for George, um, making his star Wars movies and stuff. Cause like the prequels are giant productions. Right. And, uh, you know, the Mandalorian is obviously a pretty big production too, by, by most standards, but, uh, in comparison to a star Wars film, um, yeah, it has to feel much smaller scale, much more manageable in, in that kind of way. So uh yeah, that's interesting. Also, I'd point out here, Ryan, um, you know, there's not too many degrees of separation between this podcast and uh in Robert Rodriguez in the whole uh Kevin Bacon sense, you know. Um, as you as you talk about Robert Rodriguez here and your uh your your affinity for him, um, you know, California Chris has worked uh with and for Robert Rodriguez uh a little bit um over the years. So um because lucha underground. Um Robert Rodriguez was involved in and, uh, that aired on a, on a TV station that, that he's, uh, I think ran or owned or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, Chris has, uh, has done some interviews for, um, has filmed, shot some interviews for, for stuff that, uh, that, uh, Rodriguez produced. And, um, I think he even shot Rodriguez an interview with Rodriguez, uh, too. So yeah, Chris, uh, California, Chris, um, <laughs> has, uh, has, has worked with and for Robert Rodriguez. So there you go. There's like, well, how many degrees of separation would that be between the blockade runner podcast and, and him? One degree of separation, zero degrees, depending on how you look at it. Oh, Okay. Yeah. yeah. So wow. there you Great. go. You can, you can add that to your, uh, your Rodriguez, um, uh, fandom, uh, there. Okay.
1: <laughs> Don't mind if I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: um, so another another huge uh huge fandom I have is for <laughs> Timura Morrison. Yeah, he's um, great. Like man, I mean I you know, I it it's funny like cuz I, you know, obviously loved um his performance in um in the prequels and everything and uh you know, I didn't uh you know, I haven't I haven't seen him in in much um since um since the since the prequels and so uh what was it like two yeah like a year or two ago whatever um i was uh i was watching the 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 dc film aquaman um which is fine it's a fine film um it it exists um kind of thing and like i w- i wasn't like super i just wasn't super feeling it um for the most part but he he played a character in it and like that's kind of where i like really perked up um and i was like man it's just it's so nice to see this dude like back on screen like um you know i've uh i've I've probably missed him in some stuff um but like you know here here i am i'm seeing him here now like this is this is just awesome um, and I was like, I was so, so happy and it like really like it, it just made me feel good to see him on screen again. And now we're we're seeing him on screen a whole lot. Um, and you know, getting to see him back in in the Star Wars universe is just it's so wonderful. Um, you know, him him playing boba fett like it's still like one of those things that's still kind of like registering for me like i don't i don't feel like i've like totally like internalized it in the same way like i had internalized like him playing jango and the clones and stuff um but then also like we're gonna you know he's going to be um like a, a co-star of like a, a new series and so like that's just that's so just so awesome and so um cool uh just because of you know my affinity for um like the prequel film season and um but then also seeing him behind the scenes here and um for one like you know going going back to the Robert Rodriguez stuff like him uh getting getting pretty goofy getting pretty silly uh mm-hmm. taking taking Rob's guitar and uh and doing some uh playing uh the mandalorian blues yeah. i think what that track would be t- would be titled uh-huh. uh also found out just recently like he's uh he's released music um yeah. he's also because i was like because watching that i was like okay whoa he like actually like knows how to play guitar and like oh yeah like he, he knows how to sing um like i think the it,
0: album is called tem perfect T E M Tem. Oh, tem
2: oh. Yeah,
1: i like it yeah um, so yeah like seeing that but then also like him kind of talking about um bring like bringing a bit of his um you know his maori culture into into the show and into the character of boba fett and like um i need to rewatch this episode because like we see um you know the the kind of like Boba Fett moving in a similar way to um like a Maori dance and uh like it it looks really cool and I'm like oh I I kind of remember that from the episode um so I need to re-watch it but um yeah the the way that he you know incorporated those kind of like movements into Boba Fett where it's like you know I it it doesn't like take you out of it when you're watching the episode, but it is like this uh, like a cool layer to it and same thing with the um the gaffy stick and mm. um you know how he kind of requested um kind of like a custom version of that so that he could um incorporate some of those um some of those movements into it and that um you know style and I thought that was just like really really cool when you think of um star wars as something that um has you know always borrowed from different real life cultures in like a a fascinating and um generally like respectful way um you know ever since the ot and you know just there's like here's here's something new that's in that and like you know, this this dude kinda like brought that in and like really pushed for it and you know, it really worked. So I really love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a highlight for sure. Um and uh like you said, you know, um with him being so great and the prequels and, and you know just getting to see him back on screen. That was that was great. Uh I mean it was a highlight of the of the season of The Mandalorian and then, you know, definitely um one of the highlights of the of the documentary too.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you have anything else? Uh,
0: no, not really. I mean, there was a moment where Dave Filoni was um cracked a joke to uh, Jan Favreau where he's like, "Oh yeah, spinning is a good trick," you know, um, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just liked enjoying, or I enjoyed um, watching that that interaction because I was like, "I bet John does not know what you're talking about," <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I like, don't well, know
1: what he's talking about. What's the what's the reference there?
0: Anakin Skywalker and the Phantom Menace. You know, like when he says oh. like I, we should try spinning that's a good trick you know
1: is it, uh it he said the D- Naboo fighter yeah oh yeah wow okay
0: yeah. Yeah, And so, I- like Filoni cracked that joke and like Filoni's just like laughing like oh man this is one of the classics you know what I mean like oh my god I always laugh about the spinning's a good trick thing you know and um like all of us like Star Wars fans watching are like oh yeah of course the Anakin thing but I feel like Babro was just like yeah uh-huh like you know what I mean like I don't know what you're because i bet fabro has watched the phantom menace exactly once, you know, maybe twice or something. um and so it's like floney's over there, you know, just cracking his inside star wars fan joke or whatever and uh fabro's just like nodding along <laughs> like he knows what he's talking about. um and and it didn't linger on it enough like to find out or to know for sure if he did or didn't know, but that was just like i just laughed at that cuz i was like i bet he doesn't know what you're talking about.
1: Maybe, but I mean, I've, I've, I've watched uh, the Phantom Menace uh, more than one time uh, <laughs> in my life. And I, you know, I didn't even think about that. Um, I, di- I did not catch that at all.
0: Um, I- I'm shocked because that's like a prequel meme almost, you know what I mean? That's like something that people talk about all the time.
1: I, that's weird. I, I don't, I don't see that one come up often nope. for nope. me okay uh, let's just hang in different circles of uh of prequel memes
0: maybe maybe so yeah um, um yeah that was it for me i mean like as far as like just stuff i pulled out of you know uh i love the documentary um uh, rick Famuyiwa was great too um yep. and uh the time they spent talking about his episode and you know the spider episode um the second one of, of season two and then um that one, the second to last are my, are my two favorites from the season. So, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it was, it was cool to, uh, to see some behind the scenes footage of that episode being put together with Bill Burr and, you know, Rick Famuyiwa. And, um, it definitely reinforced the, the little bit they spent on that episode definitely reinforced the idea that, uh, that Rick Famuyiwa has um, you know, got some great ideas as far as Star Wars goes. And I think approaches it in a way that I find really interesting
1: yep definitely like they i mean if if we were speculating on like those themes of that episode like he comes out and says like yeah that's what this episode's about yeah and yeah. so that was uh that was cool i'm glad uh you know yeah i'm I'm glad that you know stars doesn't like stray from you know that or be like well it's up to you know it's up to the audience however you want to interpret this where you could have like a director be like no this is this is kind of what this is about and it's like a huge problem in our society and <laughs> humanity basically um so yeah that was really cool um the last kind of just like um technical thing i thought was just super interesting and it was um uh i i l m folks talking about how they're still building models for oh, yeah. that show um but instead of like shooting the models um you know in the in the traditional um star wars production sense they're building the models and then digitally scanning them in so mm-hmm. that they have like a digital version of them to uh to kind of like shoot on the volume like yeah. and i I think that's that's so cool i just i really i really love that like because it's still like you know it's just the the idea like we could make these ships on the computer but there's something just like it's it's when you're like it's when you're when we talk about that like really ambiguous uh star wars feel like how do you make something Star Wars? Like how do you how do you make it so it's Star Wars and it's not you know, Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek or, you know, Marvel or Lord of the Rings? Like how do you how do you make it so it's like its own things that it's like very Star Wars? And I think this is just one of those touches. Like you know, as you know, Star Wars has always moved with tech. It's you know, it's high tech, low tech, um, and. Th- this it just kind of like encapsulates that i think like you're you're still building these models and then you're like digitally scanning them in so you can like move them and use them in different ways like that's i don't know. it's just brilliant i love it
0: yeah yeah that was definitely really cool yeah uh okay well i think that's going to do it for uh for our discussion of disney gallery for mandalorian season two um ryan you put together (laughs) uh, during the process of mandalorian season two airing um we were uh, chatting back and forth about, of course, like what the next episode is going to be. And uh, throughout that conversation or, or at various points, you know, during those conversations um, references to supposed episode titles would come up. Um, And it turns out that some of those are not accurate. And um, you have, uh, how did the, how do we say this online? Um, You had the receipts, the uh, I don't know, you, you have some screenshots here that, uh, (laughs) that uh, made a record of some of the fake uh, episode titles um, that uh, we're going to touch on here. Some of the best fake episode titles from uh, Mandalorian season two.
1: Yeah. So um, basically like on somehow on Rotten Tomatoes, there was um, an episode list and it had names for every episode. And this is probably like when we were at Maybe this was like er like early November, um, and so we were at like episode ten or so, and then like this list popped up that was like, oh, here's the rest of the episode titles for the season, and like there's kind of like, whoa, is I guess this is maybe spoilery, um, or yikes, um, well can't can't see this, um, but. Then we would, we found out, like, as we were kind of going through the episodes, because I think it was at, um, the, the fourth episode, uh, yeah, it was the fourth episode, Carl, Carl Weathers episode, where we were like, okay, that, that episode title does not line up with the one that we just watched, um, so then we kind of realized they were, um, fake, but there's also, like, the mystery of, like, how did, who put these up there, Like, cause, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, it's not Wikipedia. Like, it's not where just, like, any user can go in and edit it. But, like, someone put these up there. And also interesting, they, like, vanished for a little while. And were just, like, replaced with just, like, the episode numbers. And then, like, like, a week later, they were back. And, yeah, I don't know. So, like, there's uh the the fake episode titles were a big a big part of our viewing and speculation yeah. um for hot minute um so we wanted to kind of you know reflect back on those those fake episode titles and uh and choose our favorite
0: yeah yeah um so <laughs> Uh, I think some of them are much more inspired than others, and um as you get to the end of the uh the season of fake episode titles they they start to lose um some of that inspiration so um I think my favorite is uh my favorite fake title is chapter fourteen the sorcerer um, I just think that's uh, that's evocative imagery in that title, and then I love the little description too the child accompanies the Mandalorian to an abandoned ruin um which. I don't know if that's was that chapter 14 or chapter 13 where something similar to that occurred um where they went to the scene stone.
1: The descriptions are correct.
0: Oh, they are correct. Okay. It's
1: not fake titles. They they line up with the descriptions for the real titles.
0: Well, yeah, I suppose, but like uh so for instance chapter 13, that description seems pretty correct, right? Because sinister politician who's made a dangerous enemy like that's the ahsoka episode or whatever um but then like look at chapter 15 the mandalorian and the child continue their journey through a dangerous galaxy i mean yeah i guess that's
1: that's the same that's the same as the official description for the believer
0: is it really it is yeah well the official description according to what according to this rotten tomatoes page like
1: uh, I think there, I think it's the description on Disney+. Plus.
0: Okay, well, if that's true, then 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 I guess that's true. But uh, it's just so generic, you know what I mean? That could describe most of the episodes in the season. I mean, honestly, you know what I mean? It doesn't tell you anything. So just in terms of looking at this and being like, somebody's making up fake titles, you know what I mean? Um, that doesn't seem like a particularly difficult fake description to come up with either, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But- yeah. So I and like you were saying, like we've got a list of, of titles and then descriptions here on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh we know some of it's bullshit, you know what I mean? So I don't know if uh, you know, just because they changed the titles to the correct ones on the on the real list here, I don't know if that means that those um like on the second screenshot you have here in our notes, the titles are correct and then the descriptions remain the same, but like I don't know, you know what I mean? If uh if that means those are official descriptions or not.
1: It, it gets even weirder cuz I just pulled up um the episodes on Disney Plus mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um so chapter 11 um oh, let, let's start with chapter 12 cuz that's the first fake one. So chapter 12 um the the fake title is the republic. Mm-hmm. The correct title is the siege. Okay. The description on Rotten Tomatoes for the fake and the real episode title says familiar faces return recruiting the Mandalorian for a new task mm-hmm. on Disney. Plus the description is the Mandalorian rejoins old allies for a new mission.
2: Mm. Chapter 13,
1: chapter 13, the, um. the, the, correct title is of course the jedi yeah um the fake title is the loyalist so yeah. the description for the loyalist and the jedi on rotten tomatoes says the team explores a planet oppressed by a sinister politician who has made a dangerous enemy so on disney plus the official description says the mandalorian journeys to a world ruled by a cruel magistrate who has made a powerful enemy
0: uh-huh so yeah so they're close but they're they're not the exact language right yeah um, yeah and they're not they're 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 pretty close to the mark what about chapter 14 what's the description on disney plus because that's the one that says on Rotten Tomatoes, the child accompanies the Mandalorian to an abandoned ruin, which is what I was like, wow, well, okay, that's, uh, that's interesting. But you know, again, it's like so um, kind of vague that you know that one and the one after could be, you know, you you could definitely fake those easily.
1: Yeah, um, oh, it's weird i'm like looking this up on my computer and it's like not letting me scroll over oh okay. <laughs> on, like, desktop so gotcha. um, okay but yeah so they're like it, it it feels like um you know just like one of those like alternate timeline like stories where things are just like a little bit off mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what these fake uh, fake titles are. So um, I'm just going to read through because um, only there's only a few fake titles. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read through uh, what they are. So chapter 12, the Republic, chapter 13, the Loyalist, chapter 14, the Sorcerer, chapter 15, the Return, chapter 16, the Empire.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I like the Sorcerer because to me, the Republic, the Return, and the Empire are pretty, you don't have any idea what these episodes are about. And you're just like, you know what I mean? Like, these are just Star Wars terms that, uh, you know, yeah. um, like if anything, Chapter 16 would be the Return if you actually had any insight into what these episodes were about. You know what I mean? Um, right. And who knows if the titles were placed there at the same time as the descriptions or, you know, by the same person who like, they might not even have anything to do with each other. You know what I mean? Um, Depending on where this information is sourced from, but yeah, the Republic, the return and the empire to me, like those ones are just like, okay, somebody just uh, threw some star Wars terms at the, I mean, the Republic doesn't make any sense really. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a Republic at this point. There's the new Republic. You know what I mean? Which, but you would never probably refer to that really as the Republic. And, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe they would actually, cause Finn, Finn in the Force awaken says it's the Republic when, uh, when Hasean prime is blown up. So maybe they would, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't, you know what I mean? Just, just feels like random terms thrown around there. The loyalist is pretty interesting. Cause that's, you know, like it kind of is similar to a title like the believer or the heiress, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do kind of, that one's pretty good. Uh, I think fake, but pretty good. Um, and then, like I said, the sorcerer I really like. I just think it's Forcer- creative.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite too. Okay, now the the big, the biggest award ceremony for <laughs> season two of The Mandalorian. The most important uh-huh. uh, ranking. And we're not going to do a ranking, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna choose one. Um, so I pulled out a list of the best Mando Mondays Fifth Sun apparel. It was initially t-shirts, but I I decided to expand it because there were some some wonderful hoodies and long sleeves. So um so it's we're just saying the criteria here is it's a product made by the company Fifth Sun and it was part of mando mondays so um we're going to just run through um i think we'll we'll just we'll just take turns here and describe uh each uh each each uh, article of clothing okay. and then we'll decide on which is uh which is our favorite and don't worry the links to all these will be in the show notes um so that you can go buy them and wear them in public.
0: Yeah, in case um, you were worried about that.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'll start. Um first is uh, Star Wars The Mandalorian MiGs portrait R15 t-shirt. And so it's a it's you know kind of what it says on the tin. Um it is a a picture, uh, you know, kind of like waist up of uh, Migs Mayfeld, uh, played by Bill Burr. Um, he's standing there holding, holding his helmet. And at the bottom, uh, it just says in a very Star Wars font, uh, the word Migs.
0: Migs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well then I have the next one, which is called Boba Fett Lives. And, uh, this one features a grizzled Timora Morrison with twin sons behind him, um, kind of, uh, turned to look, um, at the camera, and uh, he's holding his gaffy stick, uh, and it says "Boba Fett lives in um, what I would say is a an uninspired font. Not a very memorable font there. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the font. So, and not to influence the voting too much, but uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that.
1: Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, next up. Uh, This is this is the one where I had to I had to break I immediately broke the no t-shirt rules Mm. um, because this is Star Wars the Mandalorian and Ahsoka they'll never see it pull over hoodie and so it is a a photograph uh, like a widescreen photograph of um, Ahsoka and Mando um, from from the episode the Jedi Um, and Them just like standing there, and then in uh, kind of like a maybe, like I don't I don't know what that font is.
0: Look, there, there is a collection of fonts on this sweatshirt. On this shirt, there's
1: (laughs) different fonts on this shirt,
0: mixing and matching with this one for sure. (laughs)
1: At, At the top, in kind of like almost like spray painted ish, kind of like late 80s early 90s like red font it says a mandalorian and a jedi Mm. that's on the top and then under it in a very like times new roman it's in all caps it says they'll never see it coming Mm -hmm. under the picture and then under that there's star wars the mandalorian uh the 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 proper show logo
0: yep all right, uh, so you broke your your t-shirt rule on that one. Um, the next one is uh, a tank top. Uh, I don't know if it's available in a t-shirt or not, but um, I think why would you get the t-shirt when you could get the tank? Um, and this one is called the Mithril, and um, well, it features the text Mithril and uh, a, a portrait um, close up on on the Mithril's face uh, within a full um, you know kind of full uh, body. Uh, image of the mithril in in front of that there so you get the portrait of the face and then you also get the uh the full figure of the of the mithril
1: this is a leading contender for me right now (laughs) just saying (laughs) um okay but then the next shirt star wars the mandalorian mithril no more carbonite (laughs) t-shirt is a picture of just uh we don't we don't get a full body of the mithril on this shirt but it's just uh just a headshot and over the top of his head like curved around his head in a very goofy font um says i do not want to spend and then under him uh under his portrait it says any more time in carbonite
0: yeah, that's uh, certainly what is on that shirt. Um the next one is uh is the Mandalorian Din Jarn himself. Um and it says uh well it's called This Is More Than I Signed Up For. And it uh it features a an image of of Din, um, kind of a cowboy shot from the uh from the the holster up uh of Din there. And uh the text that uh kind of um is around him in a sort of what would you call that? Like a a doorway almost, you know, kind of shape yeah. around him. Uh, this is more than I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was more than he signed up for.
2: So. There's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: some, you know, sometimes we all feel that way. Mm. Sometimes that's, uh, the, the image I want to project into the world.
0: So this is a relatable um, t-shirt in your opinion. Got it. it okay. is.
1: not quite as relatable as I do not want to spend any more time in carbonite, but, um, <laughs> pretty relatable um this next one is just uh man this is i actually really like this (laughs) um so we have mando and grogu full body shots um in cursive are the words this is and then under that in all caps the way and then in just kind of like plain text star wars colon the mandalorian Mm -hmm. Um, very like duran duran album cover vibe to this one Mm -hmm. um it's it's pretty fantastic
0: okay the next one um i'm not sure if it's fantastic or not uh controversial probably um in some circles anyway uh this is a a t-shirt that has three images of grogu Um, and it's, uh, the three-step process of him eating one of Frog Lady's eggs. And, uh, it says, don't eat that. Um, you know, each of the three words on, on, on one of the three images. So that's a t-shirt that, um, you can purchase.
1: Yep. (laughs) Sure can. (laughs) Um, next one, uh, little romp, little womp rat, um, you know, the, the line made uh, famous by Amy Sedaris's character, Peli. Um, Pelly hmm yeah. Um, yeah, this is a picture of Grogu um, hanging out with a womp rat, uh, which I don't believe is an actual shot in the show.
2: No, Does it's a
0: actual- concept art. It's from the Art of Mandalorian book, in fact. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they- um, nice.
1: And, you know, like, I th- I feel like Womp Rats are something that, you know, we have been talked about, you know, since A New Hope um, and are constantly discussed and they come up in conversation, but we don't see them very often. We don't see them depicted uh, visually uh, much. And I I want to say this could be the only Womp Rat shirt in existence.
0: Mm. Possible. Possible. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, the next shirt is the Mandalorian, the child hiding sweatshirt, um, which features the child Grogu inside of some kind of jar. Um, and then underneath it in, again, as is a theme in a lot of these fifths on t-shirts, a sort of 80s inspired font that um, says the child. And to give you an idea of the, the kind of level of merchandise we're dealing with here, the um, the uh, the targeted ad here on Amazon.com where I'm looking at this listing for this shirt uh, to the right here is a pair of um, I'm gaming do not disturb socks um, that I could purchase if uh, if my taste was awful. So, yeah, on the bottom of them uh, on one, it says I'm gaming with a remote with, with a video game controller. And on the other, it says do not disturb. So wow. just let you know where we are. Yeah.
1: That's interesting because my sponsored ad next to it is dad wear bondaroo skin to skin kangaroo care bonding tea.
0: Oh, well, I think they got these kind of reversed a little bit here, Ryan, on the targeted ads. I, I could maybe go <laughs> for the dad shirt and put one of my children in it. And, yeah. And you could tell everybody to piss off because you're gaming. You know what I mean?
2: That's true.
1: Um, but I, yeah, I wonder about this. I, I was thinking I could put one of my cats in it.
0: But, oh, well, um, maybe that's the idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, girls rule the galaxy. So this is a, um, you know, we got we got four pictures um, on here. We have uh, Cara Dune, Cosca Reeves, Cosca Reeves, mm-hmm. is that I
2: uh, think Sasha cool, Banks? yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Fennec Shan and Bo-Katan. Um, and above their uh, black and white pictures, um, it says GIRL'S RULE um, in all caps. And then uh, then in all lowercase under um, the pictures in cursive, THE GALAXY.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then last one on the list here is uh, the Dark Trooper Unstoppable Forces t-shirt, which features a drawing of a Dark Trooper helmet with the glowing red eyes and then, um, again, in a sort of doorway archway kind of, uh, shape the, the, the text unstoppable forces surrounding the dark trooper helmet. Um, yeah. Uh, in a font that I think is fitting to the look of the dark trooper. So there you go. That's the last shirt in our list. So, uh, now we decide which one is our favorite, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So what we're going to do is, um, I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then at the same time, we're going to say the word or words of our favorite shirt.
0: Um. Okay. Uh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Ready. Yep.
1: All right. Three, two, one. The child is the way. Ooh. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. You-
1: I went with the mithril tank top.
0: Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, the tank, I could see the tank putting it over the edge. That is that's a good one for sure. Um, Yeah, I went with uh, this is the way because uh, it's as we were going through this, these shirts, this is the first one where I thought, yeah, maybe I'd wear this shirt. You know what I mean? Um, cause almost every other shirt on this list, there's no way I would ever consider even for a second wearing one of these. Um, and you know, as I'm looking at the, this is the way shirt again, now I still kind of feel that way about this one. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's the, the sort of like salmon sort of, you know, muted pink color of the font, uh, that I kind of like. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about this. That's a, a little less. Um I don't know though. I think I would wear a tank top with the mithril on it before I would wear this. Now that I now that I I look at it a little more closely. Um all of these shirts suffer from the same problem in my opinion, which is like um uh, lo- lots of words. We got to put words all over these shirts, you know what I mean? Like it's uh-huh. not enough to have like a picture of Grogu and the Mandalorian. We've got to remember that remember that great phrase from the show that we love. This is the way. Got to put that on there too, you know? And in case you weren't sure what show it's from, since it has the Mandalorian and Grogu front and center, we'd better put in a different font at the bottom in the third front font for the T-shirt, the name of the show, Star Wars, the Mandalorian. You know what I mean? It's just like whoever's designing these shirts is like, we've got to make sure, you know, we really literally, you know, uh, write out what the idea of this T-shirt is on every T-shirt, which is something I'm not a fan of myself.
1: Well, I'm a huge fan of it, okay. and I uh, find us uh, find us that celebration in uh, 2020 to see uh, which which one of these shirts we we're wearing.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, we'll be looking for a while to see which one shirt which one of these shirts I'm wearing. But <laughs> all right, um, well let's 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 move on, Ryan, to the to the final kind of portion of our show notes since we're surprisingly to no one, um, going, going long here in this episode. Um, but we, we've got to include this because this is really great. Um, more commentary from, uh, from, from Dave Hackerson, um, in Japan. So he sent us this message and, uh, I definitely want to include it in the notes. I mean, in, in the episode. Um, so more thoughts on Bo-Katan from him. Um, cause I think this is in response to us discussing Bo-Katan in the, the finale episode. Um, and, uh, you know, I know, for, for me, at least, I was a little bit, like, eh, I don't know, unsure of or, or, you know, not necessarily a huge fan of of, of Bo-Katan as a character. So um, he's got some great ideas about um, Bo here. Um, so Dave writes, she seems to be stuck on the past, much as Luke may have been in his quest to rebuild the Jedi. I'm thinking, or in thinking about Bo-Katan refusing the Darksaber, my mind went back to the scene at the beginning of the episode in which Din and Boba enter the cantina to find bo and Cosca Reeves were presented with an interesting con- contrast, two foundlings and two Mandalorian true bloods. Given the bits of Din's history that we may have been, or that we have been given, I wonder if the children of the watch were more aggressive in taking in foundlings and thus the emphasis on honoring the creed was in essence, their way of reinforcing the Mandalorian identity and making it stick. Makes a ton of sense. Um, that's my commentary. Uh, this would not be necessary with true blood Mandalorians, as they would know their house and clan. Neither Din nor Boba had that. Bo-Katan clearly looks down on Boba, and the comment she makes in reference to the clones betrays a sense of prejudice, indeed even discrimination. The conclusion I arrived at was this: the dark can be bequeathed and reciprocally. Uh, accepted by only pure blood Mandalorians. Moff Gideon alluded to the history and tradition of how the dark saber is earned, but cannot explain why Bo accepted it freely in the past, but suddenly cannot accept it now. Uh, that's right. And this was in response to um, our discussion about uh, on Twitter, actually uh, about, you know, the whole thing with um with uh, Sabine uh, giving Bo-Katan the dark saber in rebels. And that was, seemingly okay um but then it's an issue now um uh dave goes on to say din thrusting the saber on her also presents another interesting twist earlier in the season she chided din for not taking off his helmet and sticking too rigorously to the way here we see the tables turned with din whether we or whether he realized it or not basically presenting her with the dilemma of bending her code we were denied the chance to see what she could have done but I'm sure she did not enjoy being confronted with that choice, nor did the irony likely escape her. In the end, we realize Din has grown far more as a person than Bo-Katan has, for she remains bound to a code that she needs to realize is more of just guidelines. I believe what Odin says to Thor and Loki in Thor Ragnarok is applicable here, but just replace Asgard with Mandalore. Mandalore is not a place, it is a people. Here, people is not just true bloods, but the society and culture formed around that original line. Bo Katan is fixated on the place when she may need to take a step back again and reassess the uh, the people aspect of things. Um, I thought that was fantastic, really insightful. And, uh, you know, I, just, I think I messaged this, you know, something similar back to Dave, but uh, just the kind of thing that I just don't see myself being able to put together <laughs> necessarily. Um, I mean, maybe the broad strokes, some of the broad strokes, but like, I just don't, uh, I struggle sometimes with the the ins and outs of the the Mandalorian culture and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that the, that the best part, um, of all this Mandalorian stuff, as far as the culture goes in, in the show has been the, the conflict and contrast between these different, um, examples of Mandalorians and Mandalorian culture. And, uh you know having boba fett as an example and uh din as an example and you know bo katan as an example and you know maybe someday grogu as an example um and just kind of having these different examples of of who and what is a mandalorian and the kind of conflict between them is a good thing i think it's really interesting um so I know as fans we have the myself included we have the tendency to be like well you know back in rebels it was not a thing to give away the dark saber and now it is a thing to give away the dark saber so that's bad they screwed up or you know I I I had made similar comments I'm sure many times on the show about the whole like helmet on helmet off thing you know, and, and, and sort of like, especially in season one being like, what's the deal now, all of a sudden everybody can't take their helmets off, but they had their helmets off all the time in the cartoon. This is, you know, a mistake or whatever. And it turns out like, no, actually it's like a super compelling um, conflict for our protagonist and uh, a critical part of the storytelling of the show. So um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Dave's comments here shed a lot of light on how um, this potential I don't know, error in continuity (laughs) error or whatever you want to say, um, or conflict is, uh, you know, maybe an opportunity for some really rich thematic storytelling. Um, and, and something I, you know, didn't really like just watching that finale. I'm like, I don't know, um, what to make of this whole can, can accept, can accept dark saber thing, you know? So, um, yeah, again, just uh, really, really insightful um, from from Dave there, and uh, making me kind of reassess some of those things. Uh, what do you think, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, I would be sh- no. I don't even. I'm not even going to say I would be shocked because I absolutely like it's. It's not a continuity error. Um, there is, there is. It's, it's storytelling. Like we didn't get the the story here, but. Um, there's there's no way that like Dave just like forgot that um, you know, yeah. Sabine just handed over the um, you know, the darksaber and like they're not they're not retconning anything. Like this is part of the story. So there is a story in that. Like there's the story of how did Bo Katan lose the Darksaber, um, which I think is a story we're going to get. And there's the story of like why does she need to win it in combat now also a story i think we're going to get um so that's all that's all happening um it's i have no idea which way it's going to which way that's going to go how that's going to play out what the story is there um but then the other thing is um this idea of like Mandalore is not a place it is a people Mm -hmm. um I think that is going to be something that um is going to be explored a lot in season three Mm -hmm. um the the conflict between the different kind of schools of thought around um being like the question of what is a Mandalorian um I think that's you know the show is called the Mandalorian um I think you know we have Grogu is out of the picture right now um like you know however however people kind of land on that like uh, or how you feel about that like that that's just the reality of the show right now is you know that part of that journey for Din is done for now um I'm sure it will be explored in you know that relationship will be explored in some ways but um you know we we it's safe to assume that when we get episode one of season three of the mandalorian it's not going to be like you know din din showing up at you know at luke's place and being like all right i'm ready to take him back now um like that's not how the it's going to go um so i think we are going to be exploring um you know these different uh thoughts around what it means to be a mandalorian and i think that's going to be the like is is a people part of it, but I think we're also going to be exploring the place part of it simultaneously. Um, and I think it's going to be like, we're exploring the people part of it, at, but it's going to be set in the place because there is the question of like, what actually happened to Mandalore? Like, what is the state of Mandalore at the start of you know season season three of um the mandalorian like did it really get like quote unquote glassed like is it just like completely like not inhabitable or is it like it's been taken over and like someone else or some other power has kind of taken it over there so um i think that's you know what we're going to be exploring i'm leaning towards the latter that there is going to be a centralized power there that um, it's going to take um, a lot of Mandalorians coming together to overcome. But that's what I think. I've also been wrong about literally everything that I've predicted about this show since the first episode. So (laughs) we will see.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because my tendency is to is to think like, especially after, you know, that uh, sort of amended quote that, that Dave includes there, Mandalore is a is not a place, it's a people. Um I, I love the idea that evokes. And um, you know, to me, like my my first instinct is to be like, well that that would be much more interesting than than kind of like the, you know, the conclusion of this being like they take back Mandalore and somebody's on the throne of Mandalore and Mandalore is like this central location for all Mandalorians or whatever. Um like I kind of like the idea of I, I, I kinda like how, how they're being presented now, which is sort of, you know, a roaming clan of people and, you know, it's like uh and sort of the, the, the way the children of the watch, you know, rescued Din and it's like they're sort of they're this collection of people, but they're the what what unites them or or, or brings them together are kind of, you know, Yeah, whatever is 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 the culture and the the code and the ideas and not necessarily like the place or the lineage or whatever um if if that became like the the ultimate conclusion that the show kind of came to about mandalorians or that these characters came to about mandalorians um which as you say that that could happen uh you know parallel to or, or simultaneously to them you know retaking the planet too i guess but um yeah it's a it's an interesting statement there is not a place it's a people because um you know it does kind of present the uh the human aspect of it as as the more important part than the than than the the location or whatever you know what i mean so I would be interesting to see it well it will be interesting to see where it goes what they do with it which which of those ideas they they choose to focus on or you know if they focus on both or whatever um the other thing real quick from from dave's note here that you know one of the things that uh, he doesn't explicitly stay, but, uh, say, but say, uh, but or write, but uh, I think that I see in this is again a reminder that you know just because a character says something in a show uh, or in a movie or whatever doesn't make that like necessarily the the conclusion of the show or you know the the writers or whatever. Um, which we see that all the time in Star Wars, where it's like, well, this character said this thing. Well, yeah, but that that's their perspective on it. That doesn't mean that's like the you know, the fact or the canon or whatever, like, you know, so we have to see how it plays out. So just because Bo-Katan says like, I can't take the dark saber. It doesn't necessarily mean that she won't be able to, or, you know, this, we'll have to see how this all shakes out. So it's, it's tempting to look at some of this stuff and be like, well, this character said it. So therefore that's, that's it. It's written in stone where it's like, well, no, that's one character's perspective. Din had one perspective on the code, The armorer had a different perspective on the code. Boba has a perspective on the code. You know, Bo-Katan has a perspective on the code. Um, That's all of their perspectives. Those things can change. They will change. And like exploring how and why and, you know, the catalyst for how those perspectives will change. That's what's going to be really, you know, interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to this stuff uh, more than, I guess, similar to, you know, what we said about Boba earlier. I'm looking forward to exploring some of these, these things, um, as far as Mandalorian culture goes more than I would have thought I would be. Um, you know, so, so, uh, but I still don't feel like I really, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when we're talking Star Wars stuff, I feel like I, you know, I have a pretty decent handle on it and can, can, uh, can come up with some, some good conclusions and, you know, have some, some good thoughts to share on it. But, uh, I definitely appreciate, uh, you know your comments on this stuff ryan because i think you you have a lot more insight into this kind of thing and uh definitely dave you know writing in and sharing some of this stuff because yeah i'm i'm i think i'm a lot of times the last one to to figure some of this stuff out as far as the the mandalorians go so
1: and i think like just uh as we're wrapping up here and like thinking about like you know the fact that we're a year away from you know the next uh you know the next live action show in Boba Fett and then even longer away from season three of the Mandalorian like this is going to like if you're still like you know still really like got got Mando on the brain um it's a great time to go back and uh rewatch the like the Clone Wars and Rebels episodes related to to this stuff if not those entire series
0: yeah yeah that's a yeah I need to do that for sure absolutely cool I,
1: that really like going back um a few like a few weeks ago and or a couple months ago now actually and rewatching all the, the the mandalore stuff um through rebels and clone wars like that was uh that that really helped me contextualize um a lot of stuff in in mando so.
0: yeah cool Okay, well, we got to wrap up the show there. So, um, you know, if you have thoughts you want to share about uh, about the show or, you know, uh, Mandalorian or whatever, um, we're we're definitely always happy to hear from you. So uh, you could email the show, blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com, or, um, you know, tweet at us or DM us. Um, the show Twitter account is at blockaderun. Uh, Ryan, you're on Twitter at?
1: V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can find all of our episodes and other content at uh, Um If you're listening, I'm sure you have your preferred method of listening to podcasts uh, worked out or whatever. But uh, we are uh, on Spotify now, too, as, as well as all these other um, places. So all those links will be in the notes. And um, we'll be back, I think, next week with uh, a bit of a, a preview and uh, look at The High Republic, which will be... Uh, will be releasing dropping, um, very shortly after that. So that's, uh, kind of where we're going to be looking now that we've, we've wrapped up our discussion of Mandalorian. We're looking forward to the high Republic and, uh, very excited about that. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with that episode. And until then, uh, thanks very much for listening and, um, may the force be with you.
1: And also with you. <laughs>